If you would open your Bibles with me, please, to Romans. We'll begin reading the last two verses of chapter 11 and the first two of chapter 12 and then 9 through the end of the chapter. First of all, from Romans 11. For just as you were one, at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, referring to Israel, who became disobedient, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, the Gentiles, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrupulous his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if we understand what these first two verses mean as to the kind of life that the Lord wants us to live, then let's see it in greater detail. We don't have the time today to go into all the details, but it'd be great if you could read that later on tonight again and, and think about it, how this is the kind of life the Lord wants us to live. Let love be genuine, verse 9. The word genuine means without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Be thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. And do not overcome, be not overcome by evil that overcome evil with good.
Dear congregation, beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, in these last verses of chapter 11, the apostle is referring to how Israel became disobedient and was cast away by the Lord because they departed from the Lord and that grieved them deeply. But he ends chapter 11 in this great doxology praising God that because of that, now mercy is shown to the Gentiles because of their disobedience and how does that make any sense to us as human beings? But he praises God for it because this was God's plan. But now he begins in chapter 12 appealing to the New Testament church not to become disobedient or fall away from the Lord, but rather to rejoice in the mercy of living a godly life to show the world how merciful and gracious and loving God really is. That's why he begins in verse 1. I appeal to you, because of what he just said, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this afternoon, we want to just look at verses 1 and 2 to see how and what effect that mercy of God has in our life. So what are these mercies that he's referring to? Well, already back in Exodus 33:19, God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will be merciful to those on whom I will show mercy. So it is God's choice to show his grace and mercy to those whom he has chosen. It is not you choosing God. And all who are believing in the gospel and confess Christ as their Savior come to understand this, that they were chosen in Christ even before the foundation of the world because of God's mercy and grace. So how very blessed you are this afternoon if you believe that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins and that he has given you an eternal life. Of all the people on the face of the earth, you have tasted God's mercy personally. From the word of the Lord, which you heard and believed, that Christ came also to die for you, a sinner, to be set free from a slavery to sin. If that is not true of you this afternoon, I encourage you very strongly to confess your sins to Christ and come to know how a loving Savior he is even to sinners. Come to him and don't delay. Don't go to sleep without going to him today until that's settled between you and the Lord. But now, if you have tasted of his love and mercy, God is asking you to lovingly give your total self to him. The Lord Jesus is asking you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So what's all involved in this? Well, you know, the Old Testament, the priests, they had to offer up sacrifices of animals on the altar in the temple. But they didn't sacrifice themselves. 
But God is asking you for a living sacrifice. Even as Jesus sacrificed himself for us, he is now asking all who have been given this new life in him to offer that life as an offering well-pleasing to God. So, as a believer, you are a priest in the temple of God today. God has made you a kingdom of priests to God his Father. Jesus says in Revelation 1 verse 6, and you're also the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your calling on this earth as a Christian is to glorify Christ with the new life that he has given you. All that you do and say is to honor and to worship and praise his name. So stop and think about this. You are a priest, and you are the temple. With the Holy Spirit living in your body and spirit. Could something greater ever happen to you than that? What mercy God has shown to you. But that means that you're not bringing offerings to God apart from who you are. Everything that you do and say happens in the temple where the Holy Spirit is present. So when you come together for worship on Sunday, like today as the body of Christ, what you're going to put on the collection plate later, that's not the only offering that you're bringing to God. It is your total self. You're all here, body and spirit. Everything that you said and that you did all week long, you are bringing before God as an offering to him. Everything you do and say comes before God as an offering that is to be holy and pleasing to him. Not only on Sundays, all week long. As verse 1 says, this is your spiritual worship. The, and the other, some other translations say it's your reasonable service. But the, the Greek word refers to reason or intellect. And the point is, that what you are bringing to God as an offering is not mindless, but it's the result of conscious decisions that you have made and actions that you have taken. It's a deliberate action on your part to offer up to God. It's a purposeful act to please God. And in that sense, it is a spiritual worship. Everything you do and say is an offering to worship the Lord. Do you understand this about yourself? Have you under, really thought about this, what this really means for you? You are the living sacrifice. 
And everything you do and say is to be holy and pleasing to God. Then you want to be very careful, don't you? What you're bringing before the Lord. Do you think about this? Before you say or do anything, do you ever pray, Lord, will you help me in what I'm about to say and do that it's pleasing to you? Have you ever said that to him? Will it be holy and pleasing to him, what you've done? Have you asked yourself, am I really being obedient to his commandments to show him that I really do love him? James 4.17 says, if you know what to do is good and you don't do it, it is sin. And that's why here in verse 2, our text warns us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what does it mean to be conformed to the world? James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Whosoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, making yourself an enemy of God is something very serious, right? And 1 John 2.16 says, If anyone loves the world and loves does not love the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. So what does it mean? A friend of the world? Well, he is one who, who is interested in everything of the world, but not in the nature that nature is beautiful and the gift of God, but in the flesh, the things of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the lust of the eyes, as 1 John 2.16 says, and also the pride of their possessions is mentioned, the things that you accomplish. Those become idols to you. A friend of the world is someone who wants to live and be just like those in the world that are successful. Great jobs, great education, all the world and the culture, but all for themselves, not for God. But they value the things of the world. And that's why verse to command you do not allow yourself to be fashioned and molded by worldly thinking. This is a command. This is something that you have to constantly fight against as a Christian because your sinful nature is still attracted to do the things that are not holy. But you may not allow the world to shape your mind and your actions that you have, now that you have received the mercy of God. This is a battle all Christians are in every day until the Lord comes back or until he calls you home. So if you are liking what the world has to offer this afternoon, if the values, the lifestyle, the clothes, the language, the music, the entertainment, especially the addictions like pornography or drunkenness or use of drugs or all of those things that are so common in the world, if these things are desirable and a great temptation to you, 
then you have already allowed Satan to deceive you just as Satan deceived Adam and Eve. You realize that Satan is your enemy, don't you? And all he wants to do is drag you to hell. That's his purpose. And you know what happened in Genesis 3, verse 2? That forbidden fruit was desirable and delightful to the eyes of Adam and Eve. But as they were looking at that forbidden fruit, instead of seeing something desirable and delightful to the eyes, what should they have seen? They should have seen eternal death written on that fruit because God had said you eat and you will die. But instead of believing God, they believe the devil. Now, dear brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. If we eat the forbidden fruit, when we know the truth, when we have the word, but we eat the forbidden fruit. And some of these are summarized for us in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And the first one, it begins with sexual immorality because that's really a powerful one. But also impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, hatred, drunkenness. And what is, what's going to happen to those who get involved in these things? Well, the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in verse 21, I warned you, and I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to be cast out of the presence of God. If you want what the world is offering you, then you're an enmity with God. You're an enemy. You're worse, you're a traitor. Because you've turned your back on Christ who bought you to be pure and holy. And Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, take care, brethren. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the church. Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Sin comes between you and God. You're departing by willfully sinning against God. Therefore, exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We have to help each other and warn each other every day because Satan is so eager to deceive us and destroy us. That's why there are so many warnings in Scripture. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Beware, brethren, Yet you do not fall away from your own steadfastness, being led away by the errors of the wicked. And there's lots of wicked people around you. 1 Corinthians 10, 7-12, the apostle recounts how in the Old Testament, the church was punished for their immorality and their idolatry. 23,000 of them died, were destroyed by serpents and by the word by the sword of the angel. Numbers 25, verses 6 through 10, tells us a story. There was an Israelite man, so bold, 
that while Moses was weeping over the sin of his people standing in the presence of God, he took a Moabite woman into his tent and committed adultery with her right in front of his eyes. And Phinehas saw it and killed them both. And the plague was stopped because it had already broken out and 23,000 people died. Can you imagine the audacity and the lustful pride of that man to do that in the face, to dare to do that in the face of God's presence? But brothers and sisters, this is exactly what we do also. If we willfully sin in the face of the Holy Spirit who is living in our body, if we claim to be Christians, if we have made a confession of faith, this is what we are doing to Christ who has bought us with his own blood. Our bodies belong to him. And he lives in us by way of the Holy Spirit. But if we commit especially sexual immorality, we break the covenant that we have made with him as his bride. We say that we love Jesus, but it's a hypocrisy if we willfully sin against him. And especially the sin of immorality because the word porn means to sell. And you're selling yourself to a prostitute in front of Christ. You're saying, no, Lord, I want this. I don't want you. I don't care what you've done. I want this. This is what I really love. That's how evil it is. How unbelievably arrogant we are when we knowingly and willfully sin against our Savior and Lord in his presence. And you can understand why the Holy Spirit would be so grieved and so quenched that he would leave us. And what are we going to do without the Spirit? What, what's that, what happens then? We're going to be just as confused as the world living in darkness. We're going to be so full of pain and all kinds of other things we don't know what to do with ourselves because we have not repented. When David realized what he had done in committing adultery in Psalm 51, he pleads with the Lord, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He was so afraid that he would lose the joy of his salvation. And you will if you willfully sin and you don't repent. This is why when we sin, we immediately need to repent with a broken and a contrite heart and cry out for the mercy of God that he would not cast us out of his presence because we have so defiled ourselves again. You will lose the joy of your salvation. Our sin is so in the face of God because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Again and again, we're saying, no, Lord, I want this. I really love this, even though we confess his name. Do you see how gracious, unbelievably gracious and merciful God is and willing to forgive us again when we plead for his mercy? Even though our sins are so horrendous, if we come to him with a broken and a contrite heart, he says, I will not cast you out. 
I will hear what you have to say. If you are truly, and he knows if we're really repentant or not. He knows that. That can't be hypocritical. It has to be real. And why will he forgive us? Because he has promised in his word. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be cleansed again. You see how wonderful the mercy of God is to repentant and humble sinners who come to him. And that's our life, brothers and sisters. We need to come to him every day because we sin every day, every one of us. So what must we do to allow ourselves not to be deceived by Satan and be fashioned and molded and not be fashioned and molded by worldly thinking? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a serious warning, but also a great hope in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. He explains that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, all of us. But God is faithful that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So yes, we will be tempted, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but with every temptation, there is an escape. The Lord wants you to have a fruitful life. He wants you to be happy. He delights in his children, but you have to obey his word. And you cannot avoid the world you're living in it, and you're living in a culture that hates God and, and hates the Bible. So you can't uh, you know, escape the influence of Satan as he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. But the good news is that you don't have to let yourself be formed and shaped to become like the world. You can stand up against Satan in all his devious ways. How? by believing the promise that with every temptation, God has a way of escape. Now, what is that way? Well, first of all, it is Christ himself and the sacrifice that he has made for you. That's the basis of our hope. But then the Lord gives us his word as spirit so that we will know what his word says and how he wants us to live. The Lord Jesus has given himself to you to free you from the guilt and the power of sin Satan and death to confirm that what he has done for you, he has given you the Holy Spirit to counsel and to guide you on the way to the promised land. He's given you his word, which is the power of God and the salvation, and the Holy Spirit as your counselor. So here in Romans 2, 12 verse 2, instead of conforming ourselves to the world, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this too is a command. But the verb is in the passive. And that means this transformation must happen to you, but you can't do it. You cannot transform yourself. You cannot change your sinful nature, but God can do it. The word transform is a metamorphosis. That's what happens to an ugly caterpillar that becomes a beautiful butterfly. That's God's work in nature, and God's work in salvation is to change sinners 
into saints, ugly sinners into beautiful saints. And he does that through his word and by his spirit, who teaches us how we abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our souls, 1 Peter 2.12. And this transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts changes us to live lives that are pleasing to God. Titus 3.5 tells us that according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to renew our thinking, to think as Christ thinks. And this is a daily ongoing process which includes our needs to repent also when he shows us our sin. This is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in all believers in Christ to convict us of our sin. And the Holy Spirit enables us when we hand those desires over to him for his approval, so to speak, He enables us to control our desires, desires to serve the Lord, to worship him. The Holy Spirit is given to live in us, to turn us away from our own foolish and unwise and sinful thoughts and convicts us from the word of God. And the word of God puts light on our path right in front of our feet so that we know what the pathway of life and light is that pleases the Lord. And God's word is inspired. That means it's the breath of God. You know, just like God, when he breathed out his word initially that brought all of creation into being, well, that happens to us when the Holy Spirit breathes upon us from the word. It changes us. With the light and the power of God's word, we can see the obstacles that Satan puts before us to cause us to stumble so we can avoid them and go the right route instead of the wrong one. As Hebrews 4.12 explains, the word of God is living and powerful and a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Holy Spirit uses his word to reveal the intents of our thoughts. And if they're sinful, he urges us to repent immediately. Before those thoughts are put into action, he stops us By purging out the old man and in its place, the Holy Spirit helps us to form thoughts of the new man after the image of Christ that's acceptable and pleasing to God. Romans 8.12 says, "If if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. There it is in Very simple, but beautiful. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, intercedes for the saints, according to the Word of God, also from Romans 8. So when you obey the Holy Spirit, then Christ not only becomes more precious to you, if you think that you love Christ, But then when he forgives you again and again when you're so unworthy, he becomes so very precious to you, you don't want to ever sin again. That's the point that you come to. And that works in another way as well. Because not only is Christ becoming more precious to you, but Christ becomes more visible 
to the world in which we live. And that's the purpose of our life here on earth as Christians, that Christ should be glorified in his bride. And we see this in verse 2 of Romans 12, as it continues, with renewed minds of the Holy Spirit, you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the word prove here is the verb is present and ongoing until the Lord comes back or until we go to him. So that means that every day continuously proving that perfect will of God for our life. You are testing the reliability and the trustworthiness of the will of God. How do you do that? Simply by obeying the word, by doing what Jesus said you should do. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Because it's the truth that sets us free from the power of sin. If you obey the word and what he has promised, it's going to happen to you. It will. So can you live a godly life on this earth, pleasing to God? Yes, you can. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit working through the power of the word that changes you to become godly. That's God's work in you through the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like when Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe that, you have everlasting life. Why? Because God has said it. And that's how you can prove, meaning to test that perfect will of God for you in everything. You will reap what it says. But if you don't believe it or turn away from it, it's the opposite that you're going to reap. It's not from the Spirit. And the good news is that God, again, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape. And you can only do this if you believe the word and his promises. So, dear brothers and sisters, let me ask you this afternoon, is your love for Jesus real? Do you really love him? Has your heart been filled with the love by the Holy Spirit for Christ, for what he's done for you? And do you trust his love and mercy to save you and bring you into heaven with him forever? Do you really, have you really thought about the fact that he went to hell for you and suffered for you and what that means? How can you turn aside from him and He has given himself to spare you from an eternal darkness and death. And instead, you can look forward to singing God's praises with all the saints in a new and heaven and earth forever. And if you could say amen to that, then the Holy Spirit has poured the love of God in your heart. But if you can't, you need to ask him 
whatever it is that is between you and him, confess it to him. He can take it away, and he will. Because uh, in that chapter, Romans 5, 5, you know, it's, we're all godless sinners. It talks about it, but then the love of the Holy Spirit is poured into our, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts so that we know what that love is. And then it's not hard to offer up yourself to somebody who loves you that much, right? It's not going to be a burden to you. But bring you great joy as well if you honor and praise the Lord. And let's face it, in one way or another, God is going to ask us as a living sacrifice the loss of our health, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of friends, the loss of freedom, and so many other things, and all the accidents and the tragedies and the heart attacks and the strokes and the cancer. And beside all those living sacrifices, you have to contend with the whole world and all the pressure on the temptations. But you see, the Lord is using all of that. That's what he has ordained for you. And in all your pain and all your suffering that you're going through, in that fire, and it's a fire, but it's to purify you. And you can remain obedient and just keep trusting in his word for his glory when your eyes are upon him. Because you understand, don't you, that there isn't even one thing of our own self that we can offer to the Lord that would be acceptable to him, but only that which the Holy Spirit has been pleased to do in us, in sanctifying us. Faith, it begins with the gift of faith, but it's also true of every good work that God has ordained for us to do. It's the Spirit's work in us. We have nothing, absolutely nothing to boast about, but only boast in what God has done in us so that he gets the glory. And we may not understand why he has put you through all kinds of fires, testing your faith and all of that, but we don't need to know. We really don't. There are a lot of things we don't understand, but we don't need to know that. The Lord has chosen, if the Lord has chosen you to offer him as a living sacrifice the life that he has given you, as difficult as it may be, for his honor and his glory and his praise, that's worth everything. That's what he has ordained for you. There's no greater work or more honorable work that you could ever do or be involved in. The Apostle Paul understood this so well, that God was glorified in his life. That's why he could say in Philippians 1.20, while he was in chains in prison, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And he could say that because then he says right after that, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And the Apostle Paul could say that himself, and that's why he could encourage the Philippians who were also going through some fires. He said, it has been granted to you as a favor to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe on him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. Dear brothers and sisters, you know that Christ is at the the right hand of the Father right now at this moment looking down upon us, and he has suffered so much for you that he knows all the things that you're going through, as difficult as they might be. But keep looking to him. He's on his throne in glory. And you can see him with the eyes of faith that the Holy Spirit has given you. But even to a disobedient people in Israel, in the book of Isaiah, you know, they'd really done a lot of bad things. But God, to encourage the faithful saints in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. And these are words to encourage you too, brothers and sisters, when you hear Jesus saying to you in your situation where you are, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, the name Christian, because you belong to Christ. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him or her. Yes, I have made him. Dear brothers and sisters, do not even hesitate for one moment to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, what can we say? Lord, your words, your word says it all. How precious your children are to you. And even when they go astray, Lord, there's hope for every one of them. If they humble themselves before you and cry out to you and are truly repentant with a broken heart, because of all their sin and all the things that against you that they have done, Lord, if they confess it all, then you are faithful to forgive and to cleanse once again. Lord, this is your promise, and we all need that promise, Lord, all of us, every one of us here today. And it's always been that way for all your children and always be that way until you come again. But Lord, what a wonderful promise that we don't have to give in to the seed of Satan because you've conquered him, Lord. He doesn't have that power, but the Holy Spirit has the power to transform us into new creatures that are holy in your presence. Lord, that's where we want to be. Will you help us in this coming week and all the things that are before us to do, Lord? Help us to think every day on the new life that you have given to us that our, life, our love for you and for our neighbor should not be an hypocrisy, but real. Lord, you know our hearts. We can't 
deceive you in any way. But when we deceive ourselves, Lord, that's so horrible. Will you come to us, Father? Send your spirit again and again and again, Lord, to keep us on the path of life that you've laid out before us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name so that your name will be honored this week. In his name we ask it. Amen.